I'm going to try to do a little bit of preaching slash teaching this morning from Galatians chapter 2. Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20. One of the most important verses for us as a believer to not only know and hear, but to understand. Paul said, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I'd like to preach for a few minutes this morning a message entitled, Yet Not I. Yet Not I. Would you pray with us this morning? Heavenly Father, we come to you, Lord, in the holy and the mighty name of Jesus. God, we thank you for your presence, Lord. Jesus, Jesus. Lord, we pray for a deeper revelation of your love for us, God. Your radical love for each and every one of us that was shown forth 2,000 years ago on Calvary's cross. Lord, we pray, Lord, for those who have never experienced that love, God, that you would draw them in by the power of your Holy Spirit, Lord. You said it's your goodness that leads men to repentance. That no man comes to the Father unless the Spirit draw them. So, Lord, we ask that right now in this moment, Lord, that you would pull them toward you, Lord. God, that they would forsake their nets and follow after you. Lord, we thank you for it this morning. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. And everybody said amen and amen. The Apostle Paul preached... The finished work of Jesus Christ so powerfully and so clearly to the church in Galatia that it was almost as if they saw it with their own physical eyes. It was so real to them and the Holy Spirit painted such a perfect picture for them that it was almost as if they witnessed it in person. That's how real it was to them. But you had these false teachers that came into the church of Galatia They are referred to as the Judaizers. 
And they came into the church of Galatia and they said, yes, Jesus saved you by his grace and through faith, but now you've got to keep the law. And now you've got to revert back to the Old Testament system. And then they begin to think to themselves, well, maybe we can mix the law with the grace. Maybe now that we're saved, maybe we can keep the Mosaic law. And so they began to try to mix the two. And how many of you know that you cannot mix law and grace? The moment you mix law with grace, it's no longer grace, it's law. And the apostle Paul came to the church of Galatia. And he warned them, he said, if anyone comes to you preaching any other gospel, let him be accursed. And Paul had to rebuke Peter openly before the church of Galatia. It was so strong, it was like smacking him in the face. In Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20, this really encapsulates the message of sanctification. He said, I am crucified with Christ. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. Now, I want to begin with that first statement there. He said, I have been crucified with Christ. This really, it goes along with what he taught in Romans chapter 6, where he said that we have been baptized into the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Which means that 2,000 years ago when Jesus died on the cross, that your old man and your old woman was crucified with Jesus. That the drug addict and the alcoholic was crucified with Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. And Jesus had given to his disciples the basic principle of the cross during his earthly ministry, but he did not give to his disciples a full revelation of it because that would have to be done by the Holy Spirit after his ascension. But he said in Luke chapter 9 verse 23, he said to deny yourself, take up your cross daily and follow after me. And so Jesus was giving the disciples the basic principle, the basic truth that in order to be my disciple, you're going to have to die to self, die to self-effort, die to self-wisdom, die to self-righteousness, and die to self-exaltation. And he even mentioned how one would die to self, and it was through the cross. But that was really as far as Jesus went with his explanation of dying to self was that you were going to have to die on a cross. And so in order to be a true disciple of Jesus Christ, you're going to have to die on a cross and you're going to have to die on a cross daily. Every single day of our life, we've got to die to self. We've got to deny uh, deny our own ability, deny our own effort, and deny our own willpower. When you got saved, there was absolutely nothing that you could do to give your life, to to, to make your life right with Jesus Christ. All you could do was simply surrender and simply believe. Greg used to be addicted to drugs for how many years? 20 years addicted to drugs. There was nothing he could do to save himself. There was nothing he could do to change himself. There was nothing he could do to set himself free. He just simply called on the name of Jesus. And at that moment, God did for him what he could not do for himself. And Paul said in Colossians chapter 2 and verse 6, As you have received Christ Jesus your Lord, so walk in him. And so just as there is nothing you could do to save yourself, there's nothing that we can do to sanctify ourselves. And the revelation that God gave to the Apostle Paul here was that I have been crucified with, other, with Christ. In other words, when Christ died, I died. Hallelujah. 
And so being a disciple is one who does this on a daily basis. And those words there, have been crucified, is in perfect tense, which is a completed action in the past with continuing results. Hallelujah. A completed action in the past with continuing results. So that means when somebody says, once a drug addict, always a drug addict, you can say, no, 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 no. It's a completed action 2,000 years ago. I've already been set free by the power of God. Uh, when they say once an alcoholic, always an alcoholic, tell them no, 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 no. I believe in a power that set me free 2,000 years ago. And it's not just any hodgepodge power out there. It was the power of the Holy Spirit through the blood of Jesus Christ. I have been crucified with Christ. Hallelujah. A past action, a completed action with continuing results. Hallelujah. And every time Paul refers to the believer's death with Christ, it is either in the aorist tense or the perfect tense. The aorist tense is a past completed action. A perfect tense is a completed action in the past with continuing results. Hallelujah. So when we received Christ at that very moment, the Holy Spirit took us back 2,000 years ago and placed us in Christ so that when he died, we died. He didn't die alone, but we died with him. And in Romans chapter 6 and verse 6, Paul defines who really dies on the cross, and he says it is the old man. Now, the old man, it really refers to two different things. There's really two aspects of the old man. Number one, it refers to who we were before coming to Christ. That's the old man. Who you were before you came to Jesus. I believe that God loves us as we are, but he loves us too much to keep us the same. That every day as a child of God, that we should look more and more like Jesus and less and less like what he rescued us from. We believe in letting the spirit of God do the changing and the spirit of God do the sanctifying. And so one of the aspects of the old man is who we were before coming to Christ. Number two is who we are controlled by the sinful nature. Now, a lot of people think that once they get saved, that they'll no longer struggle with the sin nature. If someone tells you they're perfect, all you got to do is keep poking them with a stick and see how long their sanctification lasts. Because you're going to see real quick that we all still have a sin nature. And that's why in John, 1 John chapter 1, it says that if we say that we have not sinned, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But that if we confess our sins to God, that he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so the same way the old man was crucified, it's the same way that we get victory over the power of sin in our life every single day. It's daily being crucified with Christ, being united with Christ by faith 2,000 years ago. Hallelujah. Now, the old man is the exact opposite of the new man. In Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 22, it says to put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17. I'm going to give you several passages here. 2 Corinthians 5 and 17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away, and behold, all things are become new. Yes. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 10. 
Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away, and behold, all things are become new. Galatians chapter 6, verses 14 and 15. But God forbid that I should glory except in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the world is crucified unto me, and I unto the world. For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision avails anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creature. And so the new creation is the exact opposite of the old, the old man. The Bible says to put on the new man which tells us that we shouldn't look like the old man we shouldn't talk like the old man we shouldn't live like the old man we shouldn't sound like the old man when you get saved he saves you to change you from the inside out he doesn't save you to leave you in sin he saves you to bring you out of sin and to give you his righteousness and his holiness and his purity we got to get fed up with our sin and say lord i need you to deliver me i need you to change me I need you to set me free. Hallelujah. If you make up in your mind that you're always going to be bound, then you're probably, you probably will always be bound. But if you will instead make up your mind that 2,000 years ago, Jesus defeated the power of sin in your life and that he has made a way to set you free, then the Spirit of God will have access to come and move in your life. Hallelujah. He said, I have been crucified with Christ. And then he said, it is no longer I who live. In other words, I am no longer my source of life. I refers to ourselves in our own strength and efforts. And so the idea is that I am not my source. But then he said this, but Christ lives in me. Hallelujah. So he said, I'm not the source of my life. Christ is now the source of my life. Many people that were bound by sin before they got saved and I can't tell you how many people I knew before I was saved that they were bound by stuff, but they were, they were miserable and they wanted a change. They just couldn't break free. Their power source was self. Their power source was how they could overcome the bondage. But once you get saved, you realize that you are no longer your power source, that you've got a greater power source. He said, but Christ lives in me. Yo, know, 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 30, it tells us that Christ is our personal sanctifier. You want to experience sanctification in your life? It's through Christ living in you. It's through Christ being given liberty and latitude to work in your life. I've said it before. We've been called to be fishers of men. God hasn't called us to clean up the fish. God has called us to preach the truth in love. And when they get a revelation of Jesus, and Jesus is living in them, then Jesus will bring about the change in their life. And Jesus will make them look not more like us, and not more like a church, but more like Jesus. Hallelujah. That's what we want. We want people to look more like him. And so this here, this is true biblical Christianity. Christ himself, by his spirit, living in us and through us and doing in us what we cannot do for ourselves. That's everything. That's how you live for God. Through Christ making himself real in you and doing for you what you cannot do on your own. And how many people, they walk into church and they're struggling and people just write them off and they say, yeah, they're hypocrites and they say one thing, but they're living something else and they don't really love God. And they're, they got one foot in the church and one foot out in the world. Maybe they're trying to live for God and they just need somebody to come up alongside of them and say, hey, there's a way to live for God that you don't have to live defeated. You don't have to live in perpetual failure, but Jesus made a way for you to live in victory every day of your life. And when you fall and when you fail, don't stay down but get back up by the grace of God. I know that there's fresh grace and mercy for you every single day. Hallelujah. 
Yeah, we've had a lot of people come in the, in the church here, and they talk about how this is the first place where they felt welcomed in their church. People that came in and they don't feel like they have to live up to this unrealistic expectation because we're not trying to put on a facade. We realize that we're all messed up and it's only by the grace of God that we are who we are today. And it's only through his grace that we'll make it another day. It's only through the power of the Holy Spirit that we'll continue to live for the Lord. Amen. He said, I live it by faith. Hallelujah. Now, the word live there really refers to two different things. Number one, it speaks of having life. It means to to have life. And so this means that we have life by faith in Jesus Christ, that you can experience the life of God. Jesus said that the thief has come to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But he said, I came that you might have life, not just any life, but that you might have life more abundantly. Uh, So there's a life available to you that cannot be found in intoxication. It cannot be found through worldly celebration, but this is a life that comes through Jesus Christ himself. So when he said, I live by faith, it spoke of experiencing the life of God, but it also refers to the principle that determines how we order our life. The word walk and live are really synonyms. And in Galatians chapter five and verse 16, Paul talked about, walking in the spirit and so you walk in the spirit by keeping your faith in jesus and the work that's already been completed for you two thousand years ago he said walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of of the flesh romans chapter 1 verse 17 says that the just shall live they shall walk by faith so That's not just for when you first get saved. When you first get saved, you come to Jesus by faith. When you first get saved, you're justified by faith. When you first get saved, all of your past is washed away and all of your sins are forgiven. But then Paul said that the just don't just get saved by faith. The just shall live by faith. That's sanctification. That's every day of your life. Is this too much teaching for you here this morning? Every day of your life, you live by faith. The just don't live by works. We live by faith. And then when you have your faith right, then you're going to have a desire to work. And you're going to have a desire to pray. And you're going to have a desire to fast. And you're going to have a desire to study the word of God. And you're going to have a desire to give. And you're going to have a desire to greet. And a desire to clean. And a desire to preach. And a desire to show. I don't do it because I just feel obligated to. I do it because I want to. Because Christ is living in me. And every single day, he's making me more and more like him. And he's taking my desire desires out and replacing them with his desires hallelujah i don't do it to get something i do it because i already got something i I don't preach to earn god's righteousness i preach because he's already made me righteous through his blood through his mercy and now i want to preach it to all that they too might experience a change by the power of god hallelujah and so these scriptures here bring out the, the, the bring out the truth that faith in Christ is the principle that orders our life. It determines how we live. And then he said this, who loved me and gave himself for me. Hallelujah. Yeah. Who loved me and gave himself for me. And this here really speaks of God's motivation for sending his son to die on the cross. It was his great love for us. Yes. Who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul said that faith, it works by love. Faith is energized by love. Yes, our God, our love for God, but even more so God's love for us. And when we get a revelation of how much God loves us, 
And we understand that, yes, for God so loved the world, but for God so loved you, for God so loved Marty, for God so loved Brad, for God so loved Greg, for God so loved Mike. When you get a revelation of that, then you're going to want to live for God. When you get an understanding of that, you're going to want to serve God. You know, I hope for those of you who have never experienced the true love of Jesus, we were singing that song earlier, Oh, How He Loves Us. So simple and so powerful. Because that's what motivates your faith. That's what empowers you to live for God. The love of God is the unconditional, unselfish, sacrificial giving of God's son to mankind on the cross. 1 John chapter 4 verses 9 and 10 tells us that the cross is a, is a manifestation of God's love for us. And so it is the love that only God has and man can only receive it from God. 1 John chapter 4 and verse 19 says that we love him because he first loved us. Amen. We talked about last Wednesday how, how the Lord said that he was the one that called. He said, you didn't choose me, but I chose you. You know, we called on Jesus because God called our name when we were lost in sin. We found Jesus because he found us. We love him because he first loved us. And we've always got to go back to that first love. We, we can never lose that first love. If we're serving God for any other motivation, I don't care what it is, then we're serving God for the wrong motivation. If our love, if our first love is now becoming ministry and what we do and the things that we do for God, then we miss it. And sometimes you got to set everything aside and you've got to be like Mary and just sit at the feet of Jesus and just listen to his voice. Amen. I've shared the time when I was several years ago, I was doing full time evangelism and literally traveling, traveling all over the place, all over the U.S., went to 17 countries in about five years. Every month was going to another country, sometimes two countries a month through seminary, every break, short break, two day break, five day break. I was going to a different country, but you know what? I went through a place of burnout in my life several years ago where the last place I wanted to be was standing from behind a pulpit. I remember I was down in Destin, Florida. I was officiating a friend's wedding there, and I had one more day just to relax. I remember just relaxing there on the beach in Destin, Florida, and there was a youth pastor that happened to be right nearby. And, you know, I've said it before that sometimes, like, you're going to have the tendency to open up to people that you don't know the most because you're probably never going to see them again. So you can talk to them on a plane and just tell them all, you know, they can be the pastor for a few minutes and just hear all your problems, you know. <laughs> And, you know, I told them on the beach, I said, to be honest with you, man, I said, the pulpit is the last place I want to be right now. I'm just burnt out. I'm exhausted. You know, sometimes you can just get caught up like Martha. The Bible says that she was distracted with much serving. In other words, she is distracted by her ministry. Things that are seemingly good can actually distract us from that simple and pure love for Jesus. And I had to just set everything to the side. And I had to just rest at the feet of Jesus. And I had to make up in my mind that I will never allow ministry to become more important than my relationship with God. Doesn't matter how great the call, how great the opportunity, Jesus has to come first. He's got to be number one. And until you can make up in your heart that he will always be the most important thing to you, then eventually everything else will run dry. And you'll be seeking fulfillment in other things, even things such as ministry, but you'll find yourself empty. But if you'll just focus on Jesus, and you can say, 
Take my ministry, I still got Jesus. Take the calling, I still got Jesus. Take the gifting, I still got Jesus. No matter what I'm at, what, where I'm at, no matter what I've got, if I got Jesus, I've got everything. Hallelujah. I remember that youth pastor told me about a pastor friend of his that, that was actually in Papua New Guinea doing mission work, and he went through severe depression when he came back from there, back to the United States. A lot of people don't talk about that, but you know, when you go to foreign countries like Africa, or other places and you're there for six months or a year and then you come back here to the U.S. And, and you're used to people out there in Africa speaking a different language, already experiencing a disconnect. And you come back to the U.S. There's a lot of missionaries that go through discouragement and they go through depression. And you got to kind of recalibrate and kind of come back to your first love and realize it's all about Jesus. No matter where you are, no matter what God has you doing, it's all about Jesus. Whether you're in the U.S. or you're on the mission field, it's all about Jesus. And it can be very, very easy to get distracted from that. I remember Billy Graham, one of his last interviews, he had asked a question. He said, looking back on your ministry, is there anything you would have done differently? He said, yes. The interviewer said, what is it? He said, I would not have taken so many speaking engagements because he said, I was so busy going from one place to the next that I was neglecting my personal relationship with God. And he said, well, do you have any words of encouragement to young evangelists? He said, whatever you do, do not neglect that personal communion with God because that is the heartbeat of your ministry. If you lose that, you lose it all. You can have all the opportunities, all the doors open for you, but if you lose your first love, then you'll find yourself in a place of emptiness and brokenness. And not only that, but it's through that personal relationship with Jesus that allows you to love other people in ministry. There's a pastor I know down in Louisiana I've shared the story before, but uh, separate from Family Worship Center, pastors in another church in the area, though. But he went through so many letdowns, so much heartbreak. And, you know, some church folk can be mean folk. Amen. And he went through so much disappointment, so much letdown. And he told God, he said, God, I can't do it anymore. He said, I've been let down too much. I've been rejected. I've been betrayed. I've been let down. He said, I'll serve your people. I'll preach to your people. I'll do whatever I can for your people. But he said, I cannot love your people anymore. He said, I've been broken too many times. I've been hurt too many times. And God said, okay, then you're done. Then he said, God, he said, I can't love people anymore. But if you'll love through me, I'll continue on in the ministry. And that's really the only way to, to love people because with ministry comes a lot of pressure and people like to just pour out all their problems on you. And I, when I first got here to Michigan, people were telling me things I never had people tell me. And I'm like, why are people telling me about this? And I'm like, oh, okay, I guess this comes with the territory. <laughs> now I just try to run. Amen. No, I'm just kidding. But. It's through God, God's love being revealed in you that allows you and empowers you not only to love God, but to love other people. It says, but Christ who died for me, but Christ lo who, who loved me and gave himself for me. And then in Galatians chapter 2 and verse 21, he said, I do not frustrate the grace of God. For if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ is dead in vain. You know, there is no real love under law. Why? Because working for love is not real love. True love can only be received by faith. And Paul said here, he said, I do not set aside, I do not frustrate the grace of God. For if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died in vain. 
In other words, if we could be sanctified through the keeping of the law, or if we could experience the righteousness of God through the keeping of the law, then Christ died in vain. In reality, we could not become righteous through what we do, and so God did what we could not do, and he sent his son who came to fulfill the law, and now by faith in him, we can receive the righteousness of God. He said, I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ is dead in vain. Now, I want to take you real quick to Galatians chapter 3. Another very important passage, Galatians chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. He said, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth, before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed among you as crucified? Now this here, really what it showed was the righteous anger of the Apostle Paul. He said, O foolish Galatians. And another definition for that word foolish is actually the word idiot and the word moron. I'll never forget the day I was down in Baton Rouge, driving down the road, was at a street light, and I had my radio turned down. Somebody pulled up next to me. I said, hey, you should turn it to 88.5 FM, Sun Life Radio. He said, okay. So he turns it up. Now I'm like, you know what, I wonder what he's going to be listening to. So I turn it up at the same time. And the very first thing you hear was Brother Donnie Swaggart saying, moron, you heard me, right? M-O-R-O-N, moron. Oh, Lord, help me. Oh, foolish Galatians. Hallelujah. Oh, foolish Galatians and foolish, it really refers to the failure to use one's ability to perceive. It, it refers to one who does not reflect, or you could say it like this, one who does not use their brain. Have you ever met somebody like that? They just don't use their brain. So what Paul was saying is, what were they thinking? And it's very much like the way a parent would feel when their child does something terribly wrong, and they know the child has better sense than that. And really being foolish is a sign of immaturity. And it was funny because I was looking at in the Amplified translation, you know how they translated this? Oh, you poor and silly and thoughtless and unreflecting and senseless Galatians. I'm going to say that again. You poor and silly and thoughtless and unreflecting and senseless Galatians. Why don't you tell us how you really feel, the Apostle Paul? Who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth? And that word bewitch, it actually refers to being put under a spell. And it refers to a cultural superstitious belief in the evil eye. It was believed in that day that when one received an evil eye from a witch, that they were under a spell that would result in death. And so the Galatians were acting as if someone had put a spell on them and they were not using common sense in their thinking. Now, I believe the Apostle Paul is using a play on words when he asked them the question, Who who has bewitched you but at the same time I believe that he was making reference to the fact that they had come under the influence of a seducing spirit because I believe that the enemy he wants us to be deterred from the truth that saves us and the truth that will sanctify us because if the enemy can get us to believe in ourselves. You hear people all the time, just believe in yourself. No, believing in myself is what got me to the place where I was when I was broken and bound in sin. No, it, it's only by faith in Jesus Christ that gives, gives me the power to live free from sin. It's only faith in Christ that gives me the power to live 
for God. And the Apostle Paul there said, whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed among you as crucified. So again, this was so real to them, and the Apostle Paul preached it so clearly to them, it was almost as, they, as if they saw it with their own eyes. And so Paul was asking them the question, how can you be so foolish to leave the truth that saved you to begin with? Hallelujah. And then in verse 2, he said this. He said, this only I want to learn from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? How did you receive the Spirit of God? How did you get saved? Did you receive it by keeping the Old Testament law? Or was it by the hearing of faith, simply believing in Christ? And then he said in verse 3, he said, Are you so foolish, having begun in the Spirit, are you now being made perfect by the flesh? That's sanctification there. Being made perfect. Being conformed into his image. The Apostle Paul said, If you started off in the Spirit, why are you now trying to live by the flesh? We've all, I think, had that mindset in times past where we said, Christ did his part by saving me, but now it's left up to me to live for him. And now it's left up to my own strength and my own effort and my own ability to live free from the power of sin. And Paul was saying, is, what Paul is saying here is the same way you began is the same way you live every single day. The same way you started off is the same way you remain. The same way you got saved is the same way you stay saved. The same way you were justified is the same way you're sanctified, simply by faith. If we can just get people directed to Jesus, then Jesus will do the saving and Jesus will do the sanctifying. I can't save a fly, amen? But Jesus, if I'll direct some people to Jesus, they can be saved and they can be sanctified by the power of the Holy Ghost. Can you give God a mighty hand clap of praise? Hallelujah. Singers and musicians can come back. Going back to Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ. Amen. I have been crucified with Christ. Amen. It is no longer I who lives, but Christ lives in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith, which in the Greek it actually says the faith. Speaking of the one faith that saves us, which is Jesus Christ. I live by the faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. 